0: Amen. Have you ever had a time in your life in which you had a close call? I mean, have you ever had that moment in which uh, maybe you were even close to death? Well, I think all of us have, and I just want to share a few uh, that happened to me. I was three years old, and my family was up in northern Indiana at the lakes, and they had rented out a cottage, and we had spent the whole week there, and we got ready for the day that we were going to leave, and in the midst of everyone packing the cars and getting everything ready, I wandered away from the family and walked down to the lake. Great parenting on my parents' part, three-year-old walking to a lake. And uh, pretty soon, my parents started to hear a voice yelling, Mommy, Daddy, help. And I had actually walked off a pier, and it was six feet of water, and somehow I got underneath the pier, and there was a uh, cable that was underneath the pier, kind of holding it together, and I was holding on to it like that. It was a day that I don't remember to be quite honest but my parents said God saved your life. Fast forward a few years I was 14 years old and I was out canoeing with a buddy of mine in Pennsylvania we were at this uh, church conference and it was pretty hot that day and so we got our oars out and we started splashing each other and you couldn't quite get the right angle to drench the other person, so he stood up and started drenching me. So I stood up and started you know, getting him back, and pretty soon I got him so wet that he jumped into the canoe. Well, about the time that he jumped in, I didn't intend to do this, but I jumped out of the canoe as well. And when I came back up, the canoe turned around and hit me right in the head, and uh, I went face first right into the water and had my life jacket on, but I was unconscious. And one of the chaperones, just in time, grabbed me and pulled me out. And uh, once again, really believed that God was there. And uh, he saved my life. Fast forward to college. I was at a bachelor party. And uh, there was a guy there who had these little drinking games that I was not attuned to, and uh, I started drinking way, way too much, and pretty soon I passed out, and my friends who were there told me that they looked, and all of a sudden they noticed that I wasn't breathing, and they kind of pushed me around a little bit, and then by the grace of God, after making a terrible mistake, I started breathing again, and God saved my life. You know, when I started this church, I, uh, with God's help and with a group of people, but when we started it, I, I looked back on my life, and I thought about those three incidents where my life was saved. And I realized that God must have spared my life for a purpose and for a reason. Because for most of my life, if I were honest, up until I was about 26, I just kind of coasted. I kind of lived on my parents' faith and I coasted in life. But when we started the jar, I said, God, I want to make a difference. I want my life to make a difference so that other people's lives are changed. And I remember... That before we started this, that I I prayed a prayer that was similar like this. Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. I just want my life to count. I I want to make a difference for you. And this morning, what I want to talk about is how do you make a difference with your life? Your one and only life. It's the only life that you're given. How do you make a difference? How do you make a difference in your world, the people that are around you, and how do you make a difference in the world at large? And it has to do a lot more with just our minds and getting intelligent and uh, you know, being able to get a good job and being able to make a difference for our family. It has a lot more to do than just maybe um, using our bodies and we use it to be able to work and do certain things. But it really has to do more than with your mind or your body. It has to do with your heart. In fact, the big idea that I want you to get this morning is this. If you want to be used by God, if you want to make a difference, my heart has to be willing to be used by God. My heart has to be willing to be used by God. You know, in the Old Testament, there's probably no one who was more willing to allow his heart to be used by God than David. I mean, when it comes to somebody who allowed his heart to be used and said, God, I'm willing to do whatever, it was David. And we've been talking about this all summer. I mean, when the battle came between Israel and the Philistines, and the Philistines had this great big giant, guy by the name of Goliath, who stood nine feet tall. And everyone else, the Scripture tells us, they were terrified and they were scared to death of their lives. This little shepherd boy walks up and he says, I'll fight him with the power of God. And he showed in that moment that he was willing to do whatever it took to make a difference for God. That's why when he stands before Goliath boldly, this is what he says. I mean, this is like smackdown, okay, from a little kid. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I have come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. The day the Lord, this day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. David was bold, a bold teenager, and he wanted to make a difference, and that continued throughout his life. We've also learned throughout this summer that David was a man filled with passion. He was passionate. He had a wild abandon for God. He wasn't afraid to go against the grain. He wasn't afraid to go against the status quo. He wasn't afraid to go against the elite. But he wanted to make a difference in his world. And in a sign to kind of bring back God to the center of the Israelites, he actually gets the tabernacle, he gets them all to build it. It's like the portable church. It's like the jar on wheels. And he brings it to the center of Jerusalem, and he brings the Ark of the Covenant, the place in which the presence of God resided. And he comes out, and we learned last week that he danced in the streets. And he didn't care what other people thought, Because he wanted people to know that that's the kind of reverence and openness you must have for God. Wild, abandoned. To make a difference in this world, I'll do whatever I can, he said. And David's greatest asset, folks, was his willing heart. It wasn't his mind. It wasn't his body. It was a heart that was willing. In fact, any time, he would just simply pull off and he would say, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Just going through his everyday functions. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. David made a difference in his life, in his country, and in his world. Because he simply had a willing heart. And he's remembered this way in Acts. It says this, I have, God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. I mean think about that. Wouldn't it be great to be able to put on your tombstone at the end of your life? This was a person who is willing to do whatever God wanted them to do. And David is that first person that we see that he gives total surrender to make a difference, but David is not the one who perfected it. we'll learn that more this summer. But the son of David, Jesus Christ comes later on out of the lineage of David. And he is the one person in the history of the world who taught and lived out this concept of total surrender, of a willing heart no matter what. And nobody created a bigger stir in the world that we know today than Jesus Christ. In fact, every single time you write a date down, You are remembered of Jesus because it is from him that all of our calendar comes from before Christ, after his death. In fact, Jesus believed so much that our hearts would be willing and open to him that he said, if you want to follow me, folks, this is what it takes. If people want to follow me, they must give up the things they want. They must be willing to give up their lives daily to follow me. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, if you want to make a difference in the world, then you must have a willing heart. So the question becomes for us this morning, how do I get one? How do I get a willing heart? What does a willing heart look like? Well, this morning, I want us to look at a great story in Luke chapter 5. We're uh, going to look at this story because it deals with the power of what it means to make a difference. And uh, just to be honest with you, uh, we'll talk about David and Bathsheba uh, later on. But I kept thinking, the week that I'm getting ready to leave, sexual promiscuity may not be the greatest topic to talk about making a difference. So if you want to talk about sex, and you were hoping today you were going to hear it, just come back on August 5th, and that's when we'll hit that, okay? Some of you are already distracted, I can tell. But are you willing to make a difference? That's what we want to talk about this morning. So let's go ahead and look at Luke chapter 5, verse 17. It says, One day, as Jesus was teaching, and Jesus was just teaching in a home, some Pharisees and religion teachers were sitting around. They had come from nearly every village in Galilee and Judea, even as far away as Jerusalem, to be there. So you've got to get this picture, folks. It's just a small little ranch-sized house. Actually, it's smaller than that. It's like your shed. And there are so many people that are in this that it's standing room only, and people are finally like looking up through the windows to try to see and connect with Jesus. Then it says, Some men arrived carrying a paraplegic on a stretcher. They were looking for a way to get into the house and set him before Jesus. When they couldn't find a way in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof, removed some tiles, and let him down in the middle of everyone right in front of Jesus. Impressed by their bold faith, Jesus said, Friend, I forgive your sins. That set the religion scholars and Pharisees buzzing. What does he think he is? Or who does he think he is? That's blasphemous talk. God and only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking about, and he said, why all this gossipy whispering? Which is simpler to say, I forgive your sins, or to say, get up and start walking? Well, just so it's clear that I am the Son of Man, and authorized to do either or both then, he now spoke directly to the paraplegic and said, get up, take your bedroll, and go home. Without a moment's hesitation, he did it. He got up, took his blanket, and left for home, giving glory to God all the way. The people rubbed their eyes incredulous and then also gave glory to God. awestruck. struck they said, we've never seen anything like that. This is one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture because it's a story of a group of friends that get together to make a difference in the life of another friend. And before we leave today, I want to give you three truths of how you can make a difference in your world. And the first truth is this. If you want to make a difference in your world, I must be willing to be interrupted. If you want to make a difference in your world, you must be willing to be interrupted. In the Scripture, Jesus comes to town. He actually comes back. He had been there once before. And He comes back and no one knows about it. It's like this surprise. And there were no plans really for Him to be there. And so He just comes to this house and He's there. And the Word spreads, spreads around and it says, Hey, He's back! He's back! He is back! And He's ready... To do something. Let everybody know. Jesus is here. He's back. And it spread like wildfire throughout this town. And then you saw in the text, it goes even beyond the town to other towns. And pretty soon, there's all these people that are flocking into this one little house. Because they wanted to see and they wanted to hear Jesus. And then four friends come to town and they're like, he's here And they're like, yeah, he's here. And they're like, oh, man, this is our moment. One of our best buddies, one of our best friends. Let's get him. And let's bring him to Jesus. Now, we don't know what they were doing that day. They could have been doing anything. But we know that they dropped their plans to go and to help their friend. They were willing to allow their lives to be interrupted so that They could touch his life. The idea of letting interruptions into your life so that you can help people get closer to Christ is a theme that is throughout all of history. Throughout the history of Christianity, it's always been about interruptions in people's lives who allowed that to happen so that they could help individuals come closer to Christ. And Jesus' ministry, actually, um, if you think about it, his whole ministry was just interruption after interruption. There's a time in which uh, these little kids want to come up to Jesus and get on his lap and kind of hang out with him. And the disciples are like, hey, get out of here, you little punk. Jesus doesn't have time for you. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I don't mind interruptions. Let them come. Let them come. I don't mind the interruptions. Let the little children come to me. Another time, uh, he allows his life to get interrupted by a blind man who's yelling on the side of the road. And even though Jesus has somewhere to go, he hears someone yelling, and he just stops, and he goes, and he heals the blind man. And multiple different times throughout his ministry, people are hurting or they're lonely, And he just allows his life to get interrupted so that he can care for the needs of others. You see, Jesus always saw interruptions as opportunities. He didn't see them as a distraction. He saw them as an opportunity. And an interruption, folks, has the opportunity to do something great for God if you allow it to happen. Whether it's a big interruption or a small interruption, Jesus is like, whatever it is, allow that to happen. Because, folks, my availability and your availability to God is so imperative that we allow Him to interrupt our lives so that others can be brought closer to Him. But if you're going to do something great, the question really is, am I going to allow my life to be interrupted? So, what is it that keeps us from being available? What is it that keeps us from being used by God? Well, I think all of the different uh, issues uh, could come down to one thing, and that is distractions. It just comes down to distractions in our lives. Now, I get this, folks, because I'm easily distracted. Jennifer said that if I was... uh, You know, in elementary school today, I'd probably be on Ritalin because uh, I I haven't been diagnosed with ADD, but it just happens. My brain is just always kind of everywhere else, and I'm easily distracted. And uh, let me just give you a couple of distractions in my life right now. Here's the first distraction. It will come up on the screen. Anybody know what that is? That's the web page for ESPN.com. I mean, I almost can't live without getting on the Internet and looking at ESPN.com. Some of the wives right now are hitting like, hey, he's talking to you. But every single day I kind of do that. Now, on good days, I just kind of glance. But on bad days, I can go through every single article. I mean, it can be curling, you know what I mean? And I'm interested for some reason. But all of us have something that we get distracted with, and that's one of them that I'm battling right now. The second distraction that I have is movies, movies. When uh, Jennifer and I, a couple years ago, somehow our, our cable thing got all messed up, and uh, they said, but we've got a deal for you. It's called a bundle packet. And I was like, oh, I like this. What's this mean? They're like, we can take your Internet. We can take your TV. We can take your telephone. We put it all together in a bundle, and you don't have to pay as much. I'm like, hey, that sounds good. And they're like, you've just got this basic cable stuff right now. You don't want basic. You want to be the big man, don't you? You can get NFL Network and the ES or uh, all the ESPN channels. You can get it on. I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, in the midst of this whole package, it came with these movie channels. Before, you know, the only movies we watched were ones that were on regular kind of basic cable. But now we have this whole HBO package. And uh, there's one channel in particular, HBO Classics. And what HBO Classics is, is they show old movies that I remember as a kid. And movies like this. How many of you, by a show of hands, just see how old I am. Uh, How many of you remember this? Trading Places with, uh, okay. okay, some of you just need to get some help there, okay? Trading Places. Okay, Fletch. How many remember Fletch? Oh, a few more. How many remember Beverly Hills Cop? One, two, three, right? I mean, one time, folks, I just sat there, and they had Beverly Hills Cop, like, I watched six hours. It's like, you know, in the 80s, it's over, it's done, but I'm just I'm enamored, and that becomes one of my distractions. Well, those are two of my distractions. I just wonder for you, what's a distraction in your life? What keeps you from focusing on the things that God would have you do for his kingdom? Is it video games? Is it TV? Is it a boyfriend? Is it a girlfriend? Is it Facebook? See, now I'm meddling, right? Some of you are like, hey, don't go with FB now, okay? Is it the text message that you just got? See, I can see all things from up here, okay? The fact is, folks, there are thousands and thousands of things that can distract us. And Jesus had some very serious words and sombering words about distractions in life. This is what Jesus said. He said, anyone who lets himself be distracted from the work I plan for him is not fit for the kingdom of God. That's That's pretty tough. You know, as a pastor, I uh, listen and talk to people all the time, and the two biggest distractions that I hear often are these two one is the pursuit of wealth, and the second one is busyness. The pursuit of wealth and busyness. The first distraction is the pursuit of wealth, it's the pursuit of having material things, of being rich. Now, I just want you to know right now that it's not bad to be wealthy. It's just that Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money at the same time. And any time that our highest pursuit becomes acquiring things, which money and stuff becomes kind of that top priority in our life, that's not what God intended for your life. So as long as you keep God in first place, he says, you can make as much money as you want because I know you'll give it away. But when all of a sudden it becomes more important, you become the hoarder of it. And the problem is, is that it becomes the priority of our lives, and I see it all the time with people. And I have to struggle with it myself, is that it's so easy to let things and stuff and Whatever it is, to become the top priority, even though we would say, oh, no, 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 it's not, it's really God. But we could look and we could say, no, no, it's true. Because this is the thing, folks. God didn't place you on this earth just to make a whole lot of money and then die. And that's what the problem is with the American dream. is that for many people, that's what they think it is. You make a whole bunch of money, and then when you get in your 60s, you're big and fat, and you go out to these beaches, and you lay down there, and everybody goes, Ugh! And then you die in a few years, and you've got nothing. Here's the second big distraction. It's busyness. Busyness. Busyness is a new buzzword. You know, it used to be that if you went up to somebody and you said, How are you doing? They would still be kind of superficial, but they'd be like, I'm good. I'm fine. Now when you walk up to somebody, you check this out this week. Ask ten people how they're doing this week. And I guarantee you, the number one answer will be, I'm busy. Oh man, I am really busy. And they're Right? The fact is, they've got their schedules plumb full of all kinds of stuff from the beginning of the morning to the end of the day. And when we're so busy, it becomes extremely hard for us to listen and open ourselves up to God that He might interrupt something in our life because we don't have time. You know, I didn't schedule in any interruptions today. Because we don't have time for it. Friends, God's agenda has to become our agenda. God's agenda has to become my agenda. And every single day, I've got to be intentional about being willing to be interrupted by God. I'll tell you a great example this morning. My uh, wife got ready this morning and uh, I was getting ready. I was really needing to get out of the door, and I get ready to get out of the door, and I look, and all of a sudden I look at her, and she looks kind of sad. And I'm like, man, did I do something? And I said, well, what's wrong, honey? She goes, I'm leaving the kids. And I said, but you said you wanted to go to Kenya? You know, that's not very helpful, okay? <laughs> but then all of a sudden I was like, okay, okay, okay. You know what? This is a time to be interrupted. And uh, I got on the couch, and I just let her kind of curl up, and she just cried. And I'd love to say that I'm open to that all the time, but there are many times on Sunday mornings in which I just walk right out of the door, whatever the issue is. But every once in a while, folks, God interrupts your life, and if you don't choose to allow that interruption to happen, you don't get a connect with the people closest to you or the people even that he's placing in your life. God has a plan, folks, for every single person in this place. He has a blueprint, when your name's on the top of it, of how he wants to use your life. Jeremiah 1.5 says this, Before I made you in your mother's womb, I chose you. Before you were born, I set you apart for a special work. Those last two words, you might circle that. God has a special work for you. If you don't do it, folks, it'll never get done. God has something planned especially for you, and He wants you to do it. Now, for some of you, you've got no plans tonight. Your life is boring. So, why not go to Tui Pool tonight? And as you think about it, why not ask a friend or a co-worker or a neighbor or that neighborhood kid that no one likes Bring them and drown them. And, no, I'm joking, okay? God, jeez. But invite some people to come. We've invited a whole bunch of daycares, so it's going to be packed. And God wants it to be packed. It's going to be hot. It's not going to be pleasant. Come and bring somebody. That's your special work for some of you today. For others of you, this next two months... Uh, on Saturday mornings, we have an opportunity to serve the poor and hurting in our community through the Morning Morningstar Breadbasket Outreach. And so on Saturday mornings of serving some individuals who uh, don't have the resources maybe that you do to have lunch and dinner, and there'll be sack lunches, and you can sign up today for that. That could be your special work. Some of you, your special work could just be serving here at the JAR for some reason. Some of you are not serving in some areas, and we need you. Because in the fall, we believe that God is moving in such great ways that uh, when fall hits, we'll continue to see more and more people sitting back further and further. And so we're uh, praying right now about two celebrations. And if that's going to happen, folks, we need all hands on deck. I mean, like, if you have an infant... They could pass out programs, you know, like lick them, you know, whatever it is. But God has a special work for you, and he needs you to do it. This past November, my wife Jennifer was uh, connected uh, or was contacted by one of her uh, colleagues, and she was asked to go to Kenya, and she said, well, how about my husband? They're like, I guess. Um, So I'm just kind of going for the ride, but... We got invited to go, and so uh, we started studying up on Kenya. And in Kenya, today, while we speak, um, throughout a 24-hour period, 700 people die of AIDS. So just within this last hour, um, I don't know how many that is. I guess that would have been wise. If someone figures that out, you can tell me after church. But, I mean, it's a lot of people. And what's happened, folks, is because moms and dads are dying of AIDS, then all of a sudden there becomes more and more orphans. And right now, there are 2 million orphans. Think about that. Indianapolis is about 1 million people. Take that. Two sizes of Indianapolis, and they are filled with orphans. People that don't have a mom or a dad. And um, I'd love to say that when we read all this stuff, and we looked at all, and they invited us to go, I I would love to say, I was so spiritual that I said, I'm in! But you know what I did? I was like, I don't want to go! That's going to interrupt my life. I don't want to leave the kids. I don't want to, you know, leave the church. I mean, things are going so well, and I've got enough fear and insecurity that, you know, next Sunday, you know, it's all going to get destroyed. And Chuck's teaching so it could, you know, I mean, it just just could. Well, all those conversations went back and forth, and then all of a sudden it just stopped, and we stopped getting connected with them. And I thought, yes, this is it. This is the sign. But then in April, they contacted us again. And it was during this time, just out of the blue, this is how God works, some people that we knew 15 years ago. In fact, I actually was on a board in which uh, these two individuals really weren't the best fit for this mission board, and no one on the board wanted to tell them they weren't a good fit. So they let the 20-something kid do it. And so I actually told them, you're not a good fit here. And it's kind of been, you know, kind of cold for a while. But we kind of connected a little bit. And then all of a sudden we find out that they are, have an orphanage in which they have six kids right now. And it's just south of where we're going. And we got connected with them. I was like, oh, well, maybe God's got something for us. And I said, well, let's pray about it. And we started praying. And this is the thing that I sense from God. Not verbally, but in my spirit. It's time for your life, Chris, to get interrupted. It's time for your life to get interrupted. And God brought this opportunity to Jennifer and I to be able to help some people, to show compassion, to show love, to show care, to give dignity and respect And even though I didn't want my life interrupted because of busyness and all the things that are so important to me, God had something very different. And through God's Spirit and my wife's persistence, we'll head to Kenya to try to make His name made great to the least of these. Folks, every time we open ourselves up to God and we become available to Him, He can do some amazing great things in our lives, if we're willing to be interrupted, so let me ask you this morning: Are you willing to be interrupted to do a special work for God? Here's the second thing you must do to make a difference in your world: you you have to say, "I must be willing to change my attitude. I must be willing to change my attitude." Let's pick our story back up again in verse 19. And this is what it says. When they couldn't find a way in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, removed some tiles, and let him down in the middle of everyone, right in front of Jesus. Now, every single time I read this story, I don't think about Jesus. I don't think about the man on the mat. I don't even think about the four friends. You know who I'm thinking about? The guy who owns the house. I mean, what's going on in his mind? I mean, he's feeling pretty good. He's got all the muckety-mucks in his house from as far away as Jerusalem. And they're all there, all the officials, all the bigwigs, all the people. He's like rubbing shoulders, you know, with the Kardashians. And there's Jesus front and center, and he starts listening to him. He's like, man, this guy is the real deal. And then all of a sudden, he starts seeing something fall from his roof. And he's like, that shouldn't be happening, but he's like, ah, no problem. It's probably a bird or something. And he goes on with the rest of what he's doing. And then all of a sudden, he sees more stuff coming, and it's all like coming down. And then this man appears. I mean, I'm sure he's thinking at that point, forget all this, who's going to pay for my rough? Well, the scripture doesn't tell us what he's thinking, but we do get an idea of the attitude of the four friends. And this is the attitude that God wants us to have. And that attitude is, whatever you want to do, whatever you need, I'm there. And they were. They said, here's a friend. We're going to do whatever it takes to get him to Jesus. They were willing to do it. So there wasn't a way in, so they go up to the house and they make their own way in. They were willing to care about what God cares about. And do you know what God cares about more than anything else? People. People matter to God. And they have to matter to us. God cares about people. And God's attitude has to become our attitude. We must be willing to make a difference no matter what it is that he wants. Look at what it says in Romans fifteen, two. He says, We should all be concerned about our neighbor and the good things that will build his faith. And then in 1 Corinthians ten twenty four, he says, People should be concerned about who? What's it say? Others, and not just themselves. So let me ask you, what is holding you back from being willing to be used from God? What is holding you back from having a willing heart? And some may say, well, Chris, you don't understand my story. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've said. You don't know who I've hurt. God could never use me. God would not want to use me. And I'd say, you're wrong. God wants to use you. You see, what happens sometimes is that we we place our attitudes on the shelf, but God never places us on the shelf. He says, you're never going to be a person that's placed on the shelf because I want to use you for my good. You know, I ask people often uh, when they first come to Christ, but they're kind of concerned about how they're going to be used, I'll say, well, what is it that held you back? And these are some of the responses I've had over the year. Some people say, well, I'm just too shy. Or, I didn't think I had anything to offer. Or, you know, I just don't have the time. I was afraid I was going to get bored if I actually started doing something with church folks. I didn't think I would be used by God because I didn't think it would be very fun. I just got too busy. But you know what the number one reason why people don't get involved And allow their attitudes to be changed to serve others, it's fear. It's just fear. They're afraid. They've got all kinds of fears and insecurities in their life. Now, I understand this, folks, because I have a lot of fears and insecurities in my own life. In fact, when April came and we signed on the dotted line to go do this Kenya thing, and it's all medical kind of related, I kept thinking, what can I do? I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I don't even know, you know, how to use a stethoscope. What could I ever do to be used by God? And my fears and my inadequacies, I'm like, Jen, there's nothing. I'm just going to be like, you know, walking around. And folks, when it comes to being used by God, I know what it's like to be afraid. And those feelings of inadequacy, they pop up all the time. Like I said earlier, when this whole uh, opportunity came to go to Kenya, my wife had faith, and she's like, yes, we can do it. I didn't go, oh, yes, I went, oh, no, no. But if you're going to make a difference in your world, you have to push through your fears. Now, some of you are here, and you're going, I'm too broken. I'm just way too broken. i got so much brokenness in my life. There's no way that I could do that. And God says, I want to forgive you of everything from your past so that I can use you once again. I can use whatever you bring. So don't let your attitude affect your opportunity to make a difference. The Bible says this, we should remove from our lives anything that would get in the way that sin so easily holds us back. Folks, God is not looking for perfect people. He really isn't. He's looking for willing people. People who are simply willing to make a difference. A difference inside first so that they can make a difference outside second. He's looking for people who will push through their fears to be used by him. And God wants to use every single person. So I must be willing to allow my life to be interrupted. I must be willing to allow my attitude to be changed. And finally, I must be willing to work with others. I must be willing to work with others. How many people did it take to get the guy through the roof? How many? Four. Four. If one of those guys doesn't show up, folks, they can't do it. The thought is they almost had to have four ropes. And they're all, you know, there's four corners, one scholar talks about, and they would have kind of just let him go down. It takes all four. It takes a team. That's why we have teams for everything here. Because it's only with teams that things get done. No individual ever does something on their own. That's why we have a hospitality team and a children's ministry team and a set-up team, and a lead team, and a worship team. We have teams that do things. Why? Because the Bible says this. We work together as partners, as a team, who belong to God. In Ecclesiastes 4 9, it says, Two can accomplish more than twice as much as one. We must be willing to work with others if we're going to make a difference in our world. You know, the, the crazy thing is, as Jennifer and I have been setting up to, to leave for Kenya this evening, is that we've never really thought of it as just Jennifer and I going to do something. We've always seen it almost like we're ambassadors for the JAR Community Church. That we take you with us, that we're going together as a family, even though all of you can't go. But we're going and we're representing us. When we give money today and we, we, we give that to them, we do that as a team. And that's why when you leave today, there's the, you know, the, the Pepsi thing that's up there and you can just put a buck or two bucks. You don't have to give a huge amount, but just something. And we can save the life of one kid, folks, for $500. Also, we want to encourage you to be in prayer with us. In your program, there's a little flyer. It looks like this. If you could pull this out. It says on the top, Kenya Prayer Card. And while we're gone, we just have some different things that we want you to to pray for. One of the cool things, we didn't really plan this, but our anniversary, our 18th anniversary... Is going to be while we're in Kenya. And so uh, Jennifer said, you're a stud. I'm taking you on a safari. So, uh, but here, here's just some things that you can pray for. We want to see God do some amazing things. And again, we do it as a team. I guarantee, folks, that whatever, however God chooses to use Jennifer and I, it will be because of the prayers of our team back home who's praying for us. And folks, no matter what it is that you do, whether it's a couple of bucks or you pray for us or whatever it is, you get involved later on, whatever it is, big things, small things, Jesus says this, if anyone gives even a cup of water because you belong to me, I tell you the truth, the person will surely be rewarded. You see, folks, in God's kingdom, everything counts. Big things, small things, in between things, it all counts. As we close, I just wanted to uh, have you guys visualize just for a second what it must have been like for that guy on the mat. In fact, I'd like you to just imagine that you're the guy who's on the mat. And your entire life, you've always just been looking up and you've always been dependent upon everyone else in your life. You've always had to ask people to move you somewhere, to take you somewhere. But you've always just had this image of looking up. And then all of a sudden you hear, because your hearing's great, that Jesus is in town and you're just like, man, if I could just get to Him, everything would be okay. But you can't get there on your own. You can't make it there. You need other people around you. And there are people in your life right now, folks, that the only way that they will ever be brought to Christ is if you do it. Billy Graham's not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Your cousin's not going to do it. It's only up to you. And when Jesus looks at this world, and when he sees how lost and hurting and lonely, It is. I I had this experience just the other day. Two little neighborhood kids, they come to our house, and they want my three-year-old and five-year-old to play with them because they don't have a mom and dad that's engaged with them whatsoever. And I just thought, you know, once again, here we are with an interruption, and how do we choose to do that? And when he looks at the hurting and the lonely and the kids that are very engaged, or have parents that aren't very engaged. He looks around and he says, who's the person that I can send? Who is it that I could send that could turn this thing upside down? Well, my mission for the next two weeks is to go to Kenya and to try to be the hands and feet of Jesus to all the people that we encounter. And the question really becomes for each one of you, what are you going to do in these next two weeks? What's your mission? Are you willing to be interrupted? Are you willing to change your attitude? Are you willing to work with others so that some might be brought into Christ's presence? Let's pray. And if you would, um, why don't you just go ahead and if you're, if you're like, man, you know, I really do want to make a difference in my world, that you would just kind of pray um, this prayer kind of silently, um, but you could pray it, um, just pray it to God. God, I'm willing to allow my life to be interrupted. Lord, I want to have my life have meaning, and I want it to count. God, I'm willing to do whatever I can, no matter what. And God, I'm willing to take a risk just to show me what it is. Please use me, God, so that your name would be made great. Now, Father, I I thank you for every single person in this room. They're like family to me and my own family. And I pray for them, God, that today they would really take hold that I want to make a difference so badly. And tomorrow and this evening when they leave from this place that they would make a difference so that your name would be made great. God, give them the courage to take risk. Give them the courage to step out, to free up their schedules to be used by you. And help them to find those opportunities to reach out and be rays of light to other people. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: day as we get to commission pastor chris and jen as they leave for kenya and you know in a couple of weeks as we continue this uh... series that we've been on about developing a heart for david we're going to be talking about compassion and how a compassionate heart moves toward a person it can't be distant or it can't be afar compassion is an action word And today, I'm excited that Chris and his beautiful wife, Jennifer, have decided to take action. You see, they both know that to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ means that you have to move. To be the feet of Christ means you have to walk. To be the hands of Christ means you have to reach out. You have to move, and together, after listening to God's voice... They have decided not to set still. You see, compassion is a heart that has moved so deeply that it must act. And they've chosen to spend the next 12 days in Kenya caring for orphans. Caring for children with AIDS. Ministering to what Jesus referred to as the least of these. Figuring out how we, as a church, can make a difference in the lives of others. And this morning I want us to send Chris and Jennifer off knowing, without a doubt, that they have our blessing and that they can rest assured that we as their family, as the body of Christ, this church will be praying fervently, daily, for the mission that you two are on. We're going to pray not only for their safety, but also for Jordan and Shiloh as they're going to be away from mom and dad. And can I just encourage everybody to maybe send a little gift or a little card or something to Jordan and Shiloh in these next two weeks as their parents are going to be away. I also want us to commit to praying for the children in Kenya that they will be helping that they will be serving, that they will be impacting, and that Chris and Jen will be open to the Holy Spirit as they move and as they act. So Chris and Jennifer, we, your church family, want you to know that the compassion that you have in your hearts inspire us, your congregation, and that we are very proud of you. And we're thankful that not only... Does God use you to teach us how to live, but He also uses you to teach us all how to love? So I'm going to step down. I'm going to place my hands on you. And I invite the staff, I invite the family to lay their hands on you as well as we pray for you and we pray for Jordan and Shiloh. Let's all bow our heads. Dear God, we thank you for Chris and Jennifer. We thank you for giving us leaders that we can follow that truly show us how to make a difference in the world. That shows us that at times we are called to step out of our comfort zones as Jesus bent down and drew in the sand that at times we are called to get our hands dirty. We ask a blessing on their family as they are gone. God protect them. We ask for angels to surround the four corners of their house to keep Jordan and Shiloh safe. We ask safety in their travels travels there and back. God, we ask that you move them in an incredible way, that the power of Jesus Christ moves in such a thunderous way that we fill it in our hearts. We ask that you break their hearts for what breaks yours, so in turn they can come back and fill each one of our hearts with compassion and in Jesus name we all say together amen. amen. Are you wanting to dismiss? Well, let's
0: stand. Know that you're loved in this place and uh, have a great week. And before you leave, uh, check out the little Pepsi thing. Put a buck or two in there. Thanks. Have a good one, guys.